0: my name is Jason Reichel and this is kill your silos the show that dares to ask is there a better way to operate all this shit uh with me today is Will from Brazen how are you Will Jason pleasure to to be here uh, and happy to to help thank you uh I'm really excited to kick off season three with you um I you know have been doing some research on Brazen where you are now and I am very interested in these technologies and solutions and revenue operations. You know, one thing that I think this that, that's going to be a theme for season three is uh, RevOps has taken a prominent role in a lot of organizations because of COVID. And having to think differently about the way that you operate. I think Brazen, you doing the virtual events for recruiting, which I'm gonna let you talk about in just a second, is also you know taking advantage of that we live in a different landscape. And so I just thought that was an interesting connection to bring up at the the front of the show.
1: Absolutely. I, I love that perspective because I, I think rooted in my my interest in RevOps and how I see RevOps really help organizations, it's How do we use technology to scale humans uh, in a human in a humanistic uh, approach? And so I think applying that to uh, recruiting is what Brazen does. And what I do from a RevOps perspective is provide that human scaled experience for our prospects and and customers.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love. In the world of operators, we sometimes take out, we replace the word operator with automation, with technology, right? And really at the end end of the day, I think that revenue operations is about utilizing the brain power and the creativity of actual operators um, who are the humans behind the scenes that make things actually work and can adjust the processes uh, as needed in order to scale your organization. One question I have for you is, Give, a, give the listener, how did Will get from where Will started to the VP of RevOps for Brazen?
1: Yeah, I, I'm reminded of my five-year-old daughter's um, books, those those picture adventure books, and it, it's got this trail, and you have to trace your way to the, the finish line, um, because I don't think that there's just one path to getting to, to RevOps. Uh, me personally took lefts, rights, backs, forwards, jumps, leaps, uh, started in customer success over a decade ago, um, took that customer success uh, experience and, and always was uh, a an operator, uh, operations focus with a background in engineering. Uh, and it was really a flex for me to get into customer success. But boy, was that the best thing that happened to me because I realized through that experience is that I can be better at being an operator if I understand the people side of it. So taking that perspective and bringing it into some of the problems that I was experiencing as a customer success leader was that um, it was a full funnel challenge. Uh, And so I was really interested in uh, helping solve the entire customer experience. And that meant from lead to prospect to in pipeline to as you are a customer, it's one customer, Uh, it's one customer experience. We as operators have just broken it down into its pieces for our own benefit.
0: Yeah. For our own sanity.
1: Yeah, exactly. But let's not forget about the, uh, the human, the, the receiver of that uh, experience. It's got to be consistent. It's got to be wonderful. And we got to make it work for them, too. And so I took the leap from customer success director to leading the revenue operations team and really kind of wore that as my my hat. It was customer first. How can we create a seamless experience for prospect to uh, customer and um, do it with technology because that's where my passion was.
0: Yeah. I think that this is something I believe that revenue operations and CS are going to be the value differentiators for SaaS companies for the next five to 10 years. Meaning everyone has the same playbook on how to build sales. Everyone has the same playbook on how to build marketing. The place that you can actually make a difference is in how your your CS teams are built uh, and are they built for upsell and cross-sell in the right ways, not just like turning, turn your CS team into uh, a sales organization. But like, I do think that CS has a lot of ability to see problems and guide customers to outcomes that are both beneficial for the customer and for uh, the organization. And then I also think that RevOps is this. So in all of my RevOps research, one of the things that I get asked a lot is, what person makes the best kind of head of RevOps? You know, and some people think it's a salesperson, whatever. I actually think it's the it's people, doesn't matter what discipline you come from, who puts the customer at the center of the experience to create a gap-free experience for that customer, knowing that it would be ideal if internally things worked. Uh, seamlessly, but knowing that that's not actually the job. The job is to create a gap-free experience for your customer. Do you agree with that? And is and do you feel like because of your CS background, and because of the ability for you to make connections with the actual end users and understand their their perspective, do you feel like organizations ask uh, customers to experience gaps because it's easier for the the company? Uh, to operate the way that
1: they want to operate. I, I think that happens a lot. And that's what I think RevOps is tasked to break down and solve. And I do think, and biased to be, you know, frank, uh, I do think that that RevOps customer first perspective is uh, results in the best outcomes, Yes. Um, because i strongly believe if you put the customer first it will work its way through the entire process i think also um jason one of the things that turned my light bulb on to really using that as my guiding principle is just the fact of of the startup life and and growing at at some point you're going to have this tipping point where what you're renewing is greater than what you're selling in new business mm-hmm. so why are we as Operating uh, professionals focusing just on the sales experience. When you look at the revenue equation, that tipping point is going to hit, and there's going to be more revenue on the existing customer base than there is on the new sales side. So let's make sure that we prioritize our own time and effort accordingly to, again, protect and to make sure that uh, you're making the customer experience great, but also. The company successful while you're doing it.
0: I think that's a very great point um, to talk about the idea of the tipping point. It, when we entered into COVID, something like 40% of net new revenue was from existing customers, right, which is not a, a number that uh, existed or we were really aware of. Uh, prior to COVID, obviously that was there, right? Like obviously organizations, some organizations were tapping into that and realizing that they could uh, upsell and cross sell their existing user base, but also use the trust that they've built through that process with that customer to offer new features, new services and so on and so on. And we've seen a lot of big winners uh, in the space. So I think it's really good to think about that tipping point, you know, And, and that probably comes a lot sooner than you think it comes. Uh, series, uh, series A going to series B, it becomes probably critical that you're thinking about it from that perspective. So that's awesome. Uh, one of the things that we like to do uh, that's new for this season is have, a, have the guests go through something that they're working on right now um, or that they've just accomplished. Um, it's a, a segment I'm calling From the Field of something that you're actively thinking about and to walk the listeners or viewers through the decision process you made and, and how you decided to move one way with a problem or another way with the problem.
1: Great. Um, I, I think the first thing that that comes to mind is, um, uh, we just wrapped off an amazing revenue kickoff, um, which, uh, my enablement team, uh, has absolutely crushed. And one of the things that, um, I've done, uh, a couple of years now is how, how do we take that amazing experience and get more value out of it? And so what I'm really focused on after having a really awesome RKO of aligning, inspiring, and educating our uh, our go-to-market teams is how do I take all of that learning culture and continue it through the year? It seems almost like archaic to celebrate this one giant momentous at the beginning of the year. And I'm thinking about, okay, how can I create a culture of ongoing learning and development? And some of the ideas that uh, really come to mind is um, that that really shown through is uh, we did a uh, pre-event survey and we asked uh, everyone what topics they wanted to cover. And one of the things that we observed was people were interested in not only understanding more about the business, but more about problems in their own lives. And so one of the most popular uh, series of content that that we created was actually about personal finance uh, because we knew that it was a number one stressor of our employees. And so we, um, we went out on a limb and really took that and said, hey, if we can teach people how to be responsible with their money, The win-win for the business. So how can we replicate that from not just this one-time investment, one-time-a-year RKO event and create an ongoing learning and development culture that I think will uh, make us more successful at hitting our goals?
0: Yeah, I love that. One thing that I'm a big fan of is I usually call these RKO things or all hands called, I usually call them camps because to me, that's what they feel like. They feel like you go away to summer camp, right? And I had this initiative and I bring it to every organization that I, I go to work for now, which is how do I make camp all the time, right? How do yeah. I how do I really leverage on the fact that people are curious um, and that they we can use utilize that to push things forward? And I found very much like you, it's about personal growth, right? Uh so latching onto things like uh the, the finance thing that you just talked about is an amazing example of an organization going even one step further than personal professional growth, which is personal growth. They care about personal growth, they care about cross-functionality like I feel like you have to really teach your team's empathy and they are interested in empathy, but when you don't open those opportunities for them to learn what other people do and not just get updates, but actually learn and see other people's jobs, it's easy for them to think that the organization doesn't value empathy for other roles and and other functions within the organization. And then ultimately, Uh, getting them to believe that taking time out of their schedule from their jobs will make them more impactful at their existing jobs, that they can go back to the phones after a camp or a camp all the time kind of event and be more successful in their outcomes. You know, and I think that so many organizations look at this as or look at these camps or all hands or RKOs as a means of aligning from the top down to the organization but I actually think is it can be a lot more impactful from looking at what does the organization need for them to be more impactful and effective in their day to day. And it's a lot more than what people just think. It's not just a sales training or giving them a quota or you know, whatever the case might be. People need a lot more than most organizations are providing.
1: I, I couldn't agree more. And I love your branding of it camp uh, because immediately I think of play. And I think it's all too often that we think is work, and then play. I think if we can create an environment where it's playful, work can be done at a greater level than we have achieved before. And I also recognize that this is a big shift, right? To say that uh, you know, investing in a personal finance course. Uh, within a company will result in uh, improvements in, in goals and achievements of the, the company. Drawing that correlation, yeah, I would need someone in statistics to you know create this wonderful test to, to really say that concretely, these things matter. I believe it deep down that they do, because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, the more that we can empower our organizations to make the right micro decisions at the right time, the easier we are going to be decentralized and operate faster as an organization, which from my perspective is how unicorns are created. Hyper growth is successful, is that everyone is just rowing in the right direction because they have the skills to make the right decisions when they need to. I also think that there's a this this
0: concept that I love, which is a place to play. So I'm glad that you talked about uh, the playful nature of it because that I do believe I don't believe what we do is rocket science. I I personally believe we are vastly as uh, technology entrepreneurs and working overpaid. Uh, but to, to to be quite honest, it's like we have the opportunity to play. What better way to create a course? and give someone the opportunity to mess something up than a personal finance course, right? That then they have the experience that they can put together material and understand how to run a course and how to engage with people. So that way, when you are doing a process that is marred with uh, uh, trepidation by people or, or or people are scared of the change, people have some experience pulling these kind of classes together, understanding how to connect to people, understanding how to, to move, maneuver forward. It's insane to me that sometimes organizations uh go after the biggest fish without uh having operators or teammates that can really handle it because they've never been given small opportunities to show success and so it, it's something that I, I i do think that more organizations are going to do also it's good for your employees but it's good for the, the facilitator it's good for the operator it's good for everyone along the line to practice you know i i just did a, a camp with my team and we did improv exercises right and you know, and then they brought that back to how could this impact their job, and they were able to make those dots on their own. I didn't have to make the dots for them; they made they made the connection on their own. Because I do believe not in work life balance personally. I believe in work life integration. That we should be integrating these things in. If a if an employee is better at personal finances, they might make better decisions for the business on how to spend resources or money, right? And and that may not be causation, but it's definitely correlated to uh, your point.
1: I- Absolutely. And and I think what it boils down to me is, can we teach people how to change and how can we teach them to learn themselves? And so I think those two skill sets of being able to be comfortable with change and being able to learn independently or however they figure out how to do that, it's a win-win for for everyone because uh, every dollar, every new employee changes the company that you're working for in a high growth startup. And so being more comfortable with that, being better at change only is gonna put you in a better situation of being successful.
0: So from the field, let's just kind of recap this. Uh, How to, a big thing that you're working on, how to action the RKO energy, uh, on a more uh, sustainable basis, right? And how to really leverage that curiosity that your team has. Also focusing on personal benefits as it's correlated to things that you want to train your team on in the in the business. One question I have about this, because one thing that you said that I think a lot of RevOps people struggle with is that you sent a survey and got meaningful results back. Like, I think there, there's so many people who are interested in doing what you just suggested, right? But when they send out a survey, they get things like culture or, or money, or like they get these like one word answers back from the field that doesn't actually allow them to build content that's meaningful. What tips do you have for how to actually survey and interview people in order to get meaningful results back so you can build good programs like this?
1: Ask really good questions. Um, I think that's fundamentally why I think surveys are hit or miss. And I think, to be candid, I think there are some great surveys and then some really terrible surveys Um, like net promoter score, maybe, Um, is that good? I don't know. Um, But I do know that for the RKO, we involved people from the beginning and we crowdsourced for people's ideas and thoughts and it was all self-elected. And so we created a committee of people interested in helping. Uh, We took all of their ideas and said, great, love the ideation phase. And then everyone said, how are we going to figure out what to cover? I said, well, let's just ask the people. And so we turned the question around and asked everyone within the company, rating one to 10, how important would this topic be? And what it resulted in was a very easy, quantitative uh prioritization of the topics that we covered and we had a set amount of time we fit what we could and we were able to uh involve people from the beginning involve the entire company to really tell us what they wanted and turn it into really actionable activities that we ran through in our RKO.
0: That's amazing. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree. My background is in product. And so when I moved into revenue operations and as a career, I brought a lot of the ideas from product and product research into my revenue operational. Very similar to maybe how some CS people would gather feedback from user groups or other things like that. And I find that most of the time, if you're getting those kind of answers back, you have to really look at the way that you either brought people in because they have no context for what the hell you're asking or are you asking good questions in the first place? Are they easy just to say culture? Because maybe well, instead of an ROKO, if everybody's saying culture, like it means that nobody understands and we actually have to go a level deeper into a culture camp, right? Like these kind of things are actually indicative of, of wider behavior. So I absolutely love that, that feedback uh, while we make this transition to the third segment, which is really about RevOps and how it's changed your organization or your life personally. Um, One thing that I get asked a lot is traditional sales operation roles, marketing operations roles, these kind of uh, people who are, you know, reading about revenue operations, seeing that it's kind of blowing up on LinkedIn. It's becoming this thing where there's all these different camps about how to operate it and, and, and manage it. What is, from your perspective, the value of revenue operations that for you personally, and then that you've seen that it's brought to the companies that you've worked with.
1: Yeah, I I, I think the overarching um, success from my perspective of, of RevOps and uh, how it's benefited the the companies I've, I've worked with is that it is a shared service across multiple departments that is the conduit to ensure interdepartmental conversations that need to happen, happen. Uh, And so one of the things that I really, really focus on is when you think about the traditional pillars of a go-to-market team, you have marketing, sales, and then CS, it's a funnel. My whole brain is this funnel. And so when I think about this funnel, I think about how interconnected everyone's job is from lead to when they turn. And what my job is, is to make sure everyone along this journey understands how they impact it from upstream and downstream impacts. And so some of the key pillars of what I really focus on is creating spaces for those interdepartmental conversations to happen. So. Classically, you have marketing, handing off to sales. Let's meet regularly. Let's create a space to talk about what that engagement is going to look like, how it's performing, and what we're learning from upstream and downstream impacts. Same thing happens when we talk about the handoff between sales and customer success. Creating a space, what's happening upstream and downstream, and how is it operating? And you might even ask yourself, but why aren't they just doing this anyway? Yeah. Why aren't they having these conversations? And what I think is happening is just a very humanistic thing, right? For lack of a better word. When it's two people in a room, marketing and sales, who is going to be right? Because someone's going to walk out of there trying to be right. And I think RevOps plays a bit of a role of being this third-party independent uh individual in that conversation that can play the traffic cup, that can play the intermediary between the two entities and de-escalate any of the challenges that come up between the two teams in a very strategic way. Because what my goal is, is to change the conversations from this person or that Thing to how's the process working and how can we make that process work better? And yeah. we're not talking about people. We're talking about process and we remove that human aspect out of it. And we're all working towards the same thing, making a better process.
0: Yeah. It, it is crazy. The amount of refocusing you must do. And I think that you and I have a very similar approach to revenue operations, which is like, yeah, I am an expert in some technology. I am an expert in strategy. I can do enablement. And I, I care about insights, which I think are the four core pillars of RevOps, but more so than anything, it's about facilitating uh, a place for people with deep context to ha- communicate with one another impactfully. Um, and I think that it really goes a long way to be, if you're in a RevOps role, to work on facilitation skills, work on con- conflict, uh, not only uh, conflict uh, regression, but also knowing when to apply conflict when you're not getting people to actually talk about the problems in the room that they really need to talk about. right? And I think that is the benefit of revenue operations is having someone focused on the translation layer, having someone focus on, it's, it's very similar to me as the DevOps movement that happened 10 years ago. It's like, yeah, you have people writing code every day, but you need someone that's overseeing the connective tissue between everything. You know, as an example for me, um, I just did a uh, like a strategic hiring thing where I had to do the PL for the year uh, in my current company. I'm also a CRO in, and uh, run the BrevOps team, and I realized that I got that what we had gotten to our accountant was all of these individual managers talking about what they needed to hit their goals but they were not actually thinking about the connective tissue between any of those goals. So yeah, I could go hire seven more people for sales or four people for CS, but none of those roles would actually be successful or impactful because no one was thinking about the connective tissue between all of those things. right? And that's what happens when we kind of allow deep expertise to kind of drive forward initiative within the organization is, I find that people that have deep expertise just push this way. When in reality, you need to get everyone to the same place that they're pushing on the right right end. And obviously, people and the 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 organization will mature, right? And the and the people will mature. And their and their context does come into play. Like I know as a Revos person that my head of sales knows more about sales than I do, right? But my job is to make sure that the other teams understand what they need to know about sales in order to be impactful up and down downstream, as you said, and that has to come from an ability to try to up level the conversation constantly um, into more thematic conversations between people um, and not to get lost in the nuances of the technology or the strategy or whatever people are talking about and then refocus them on the process and get them to say things like, let's not talk about Sarah in this example, let's talk about the AE role for enterprise, right? Because then we can extract out our personal bias from you know, that, and we can give, maybe even give Sarah an opportunity to, to meet those expectations. Because I find that a lot of the times in the most interpersonal conflicts with an organization is it's lack of expectation setting that has caused that everybody's working at a company to do good work. I believe firmly in entering into every conversation with good intent. Like everyone's here for a reason. Nobody wants to just waste away their time. Uh, and so ultimately I think. A, RevOps is the value of RevOps is having that person that can translate and sort of push everyone into the right direction, um, and I, you know, there's monetary value that comes out of that. There is streamlining that comes out of that, but ultimately, I think that organizations are realizing that they have to be more of a generalist than deep specialist on every single thing in order to push something forward successfully.
1: I. Um, I love how you articulated that because I think you know setting proper expectations, I think RevOps is in the best position to be able to take these, and you just went through it, these P&Ls, these budgets, and be able to operationalize it so that we can create little business owners across the entire P&L yeah. so that they are trained to understand when their workload coming in is out of process and they can raise their hand and they can say, hey, I'm not seeing the leads or I'm seeing more leads than I ever have. Sales, here it comes. Uh, And then the sales team can take that information. They can run their scenario planning and then go down in the factory line and say, hey, yes, we're seeing an influx and this is what we think. And if we can create those connections between each department uh, and each role within the organization, I think that's a very successful RevOps team. Well, thank you, Will, for your time. We have one
0: more thing to do, which is my favorite part of every show, which is to play a game. Uh, are you up for playing a game, Will?
1: I love games.
0: Okay. So this is a really easy game. We're starting off pretty slow in season three, this or that. So I'm going to give you two things. You have to compare them, choose a winner. And then if you so are so inclined, explain why that one over the other. And I try to keep these between personal and RevOps kind of related goals. So the first question I have for you is reoccurring meeting or ad hoc meeting? Reoccurring. Reoccurring, okay. So what's the key to a good reoccurring meeting?
1: Clear goals and expectations. And if people are not finding value or not meeting them, making sure that everyone in that meeting feels empowered either to not show up or raise their hand and say our expectations of this meeting are not being met. Amazing.
0: Uh, Are you a fan that if the reoccurring meeting is no longer necessary canceling that reoccurring meeting or do you like just having those placeholders in in place and you'll change the focus of the meeting?
1: It's one of my favorite things to do is to stop those meetings from happening once the value has been realized amazing uh okay
0: here's a a snack related one salty or sweet well are you a salty guy or are you a sweet
1: guy uh i i think 60 40 salty sweet so okay. um i you know fried chicken but not chicken and waffles it's got to be separate so um it's separate salty stuff and separate sweet stuff amazing
0: uh did you like everyone else during covid did you go through like a uh, like, uh, too much stuff. It's too many sweets in my pantry, uh, or too much salty
1: chips kind of phase. I went the other way. So I eliminated snacks altogether because I saw the future. Uh, <laughs> I saw the future of the metric of weight increasing, uh, significantly. And so I cut all snacks out. Uh, and, um, I think it was a full year of no snacking, uh, until I indulged with a little bit of, uh, pretzels between meals.
0: Oh yeah. That's uh, well, that was good of you that you were able to last a year. I lasted like one week and I was like, I have to have some tortilla chips and salsa. Uh,
1: all right. Email or slack. <sighs> slack is whack. Um, I, I use it all the time, but I, I find just, it's so noisy. Uh, and, and distracting at times. And I kind of wish we got back to thoughtful emails um, because I think we're a little too dependent on the answer now button or the easy button. Yeah. Um, we just need a little more um, trust in the process. Um, but I know that that's not the situation everywhere and there's a, a huge value in it. Um, I just think scaling it back a little bit.
0: I think that if you are going to be Slack, two rules for Slack for me. Uh, One is have most things happen in a public channel. Try to dissuade private conversations unless they're just two, you know, coworkers or friends joking back and forth about something. Two, try not to make decisions in Slack uh, or update people in Slack. Have Slack be a place where you're having a, a true asynchronous communication like hey, I'm having this demo in a week. Is there anyone who has any material on XYZ? That's It's a perfect tool for that. Um, but I do see with the rise of things like Notion and all these tools, teams moving back to a more centralized information place, right? Uh, that maybe used to go out and email memos or whatever might have occurred. So I, I do think that Slack is whack is a general consensus, but I think it has its time and place. Um The problem is everyone feels weird about setting up police on Slack, right? It feels like uh, each room, each channel is a club. And if you kick someone out of the club, they're not allowed. And then that's a big deal, you know, someone's feelings get hurt. So it's a little bit of a hard thing to manage. Um, The nice thing about email is if you left someone off it, they would never know, right? (laughs) Like (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Interviewed or being, so interviewing or being interviewed, what do you prefer?
1: I I really like interviewing people because I I really like learning from other people. And I feel like I I can learn more in a situation where I'm interviewing someone else. And and I love listening, but also um, I leave so much time for questions. I think that that's just so valuable to me as someone that can articulate really smart questions is someone that, uh, I think is, is a great candidate. Awesome.
0: Last one, uh, personal morning person or night person.
1: I am a early bird. Uh, so, um, I'm up at four 30 every day, Jesus. working out, uh, meditating, and then, um, getting some of my best workout, um, before my daughter wakes up. Uh,
0: how old's your daughter? She's five. I have a six-year-old, so I understand that. I started the uh, 5 a.m. club. It's actually 6 a.m. for me. But doing the 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, minutes of exercise, 20 minutes of meditation or something, and then 20 minutes of continued learning of whatever I'm curious in at the time. And right now, I am very curious about this thing called magnet fishing. Have you seen this thing? No, but
1: curiosity has sparked.
0: Yeah. Magnet fishing. So I saw an article on CNN or something when I was reading the news one day, uh, but it's where uh, people from the country <laughs> take giant magnets and drag it through riverbeds and try to find like murder weapons wow. and other things in the water. And then they work with the police. So it's kind of like this, like amateur, like uh, crime fighting thing that people are doing. And uh, these kids found two sniper rifles in Florida that were worth $120,000 each if they were new obviously and like of course they were probably tied to some kind of terrible thing uh but it's it's a fascinating thing that people are just dragging also all this guns and knives are in all of our water that's it that's it's just a crazy thing so i've been learning about magnet fishing what what have you been doing with your with your time in the morning besides meditation what have you been learning about
1: yeah, I, I try to uh, read every day. Uh, the book I'm reading right now is uh, Conscious Capable. So it it aligns with uh, some of the items that uh, we touch, uh, touched on about the RKO. It's how do we create that ongoing development of uh, learning? And I'm um, just, I'm suckered in. Um, That's great. I can't wait. Thank you so much, Will, for your time. I appreciate
0: you and I appreciate everything you're doing for revenue operations. And uh, if you need anything, uh, let me know. Where can people contact you if they have questions or or want some advice on RevOps?
1: Absolutely. Feel free to email me at will.foley, F-O-L-E-Y, at brazen.com. Else, LinkedIn, Will Foley, one, two, three. Um, Find me and happy to chat. And thank you, Jason, for having me. Yeah,
0: I appreciate you being season three's guinea pig. And I look forward to uh, having more conversations with you like this in the future. Likewise. Thanks, Jason. Thank you, my friend. Bye. Bye.